for chapter one. And if you're taking notes, uh, three words that really stand out from today's lesson. Uh, the first is communion. And that is really, you know, relationship with God. I mean, intimacy, uh, re relationship, how we can commune with God. That's what Jesus does. Secondly, is the word commission. And how the Father had commissioned His Son. It's a mission in life. And how Jesus was so focused on His mission. So, communion and then commission. And then the last word is compan uh, co com compassion. And how the Lord, you know, he, he sees our hurts. He sees our struggles. And how He is willing to come and to heal us today, you guys. And uh, that's His heart. As we go through our study, you guys are going to see it so clearly. But we begin, first of all, in Mark chapter 1. If you have your Bible, open up to verse 35. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. That's Jesus. Now Jesus had more than likely spent the night at Peter's house, and so he wakes up in the morning, and he goes and, and, and he prays. You know, one of the most remarkable things about the Lord Jesus Christ was his prayer life. I mean, you would think if anyone could afford to skip it a bit, it would be him, right? I mean, he was God in the flesh. Why not sleep a little longer? How many of you here like sleep, just out of curiosity? How many of you here love sleep? I, I can fall asleep anywhere, you know, while I'm driving. I mean, you name it, man. You know, so, but the Lord, man, he didn't. He got up out of bed. He didn't skip prayer. Um, here we read that Jesus woke up. He got up. He rose up. Not just before daylight. Long before daylight. That's what our Bible says about Jesus, right? And he went out and he departed to a solitary or a deserted place. And there he prayed. No, and we read that about Jesus frequently, man. We read this in Mark 6, 46. It says, And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. We'll read it in Luke 5, verse 16. It says, So he himself, notice, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Uh, we read in Luke 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And we read in Luke 9, 28, Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. I mean, that was our Lord. He prayed often. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he would frequently go there. And you guys know the last time that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so passionately that he sweat drops of blood. Hematidrosis, that's the medical condition. He was so passionate about prayer. And so when you look at the Lord, I don't know if you can imagine this or just picture this in your mind, rising long before the sun in order to pray, sending people away in order to pray. I mean, getting away in order to pray, finding a place, a closet, a room in order to pray. That was the Lord. I'm reminded of the words of renowned novelist Rose McCauley. She said that all she demanded from this life was a room of her own. Why? So she could pray. 
You know, I, I even think of Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verse 6. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's something about getting away, and, and maybe you don't have a room, because sometimes our houses are packed, you know, but if you could maybe go to the mountains or somehow withdraw, maybe into the garage somewhere, and just be alone with the Lord, you'll be able to experience what Jesus experienced. You can try doing what he did, going to a solitary place, climbing a mountain, whatever it may be. But, you know, then, you guys, there, when we're there, Man, God will do a work. How's your prayer life? You know, do you ever just go away to pray? Do you ever, like, send people away, say, okay, you guys got to go now because <laughs> I need to pray now? I mean, do you wake up early in the morning? And maybe there might be some of you here that do, but I would venture to say that a lot of people struggle with that because that's the one thing the devil doesn't want you to do because there you'll find so much peace and so much power and so much direction when you pray. You know, I'm not talking about just when you eat. Lord, thank you so much for this food. And some people, unfortunately, that's the old time, only time they pray or right before they go to sleep, they start praying and, you know, then they kind of fall asleep and no, I'm talking about quality, quantity, time, on your knees, alone with God. You know, not a lot of people do that anymore. And yet, that was Jesus' daily discipline. And it's so important for us, you guys. Um, Jesus, and I, Keith Green, he brings conviction to our hearts. You guys remember that song he sang? That Jesus rose from the the grave, and we can't even get out of bed sometimes. How many of you guys here, you kind of hit the snooze over and over and over again, and the Lord's all, man, I wanted to meet with you. It's a daily discipline. I pray that we would have this daily discipline. You guys, we all have daily disciplines. I'm sure we all do to some extent in different ways. For example, how many of you here brush your teeth today? Just out of curiosity, right? If you don't brush your teeth, you will offend people. <laughs> if you don't brush your teeth every day, you will offend others. And if you don't pray every day, you're going to end up doing the same thing. I like what John Corson said. He said, when I wake up every morning, I don't have to go through mental gymnastics or philosophical acrobatics concerning the question of whether or not I should brush my teeth. No, as did most of us, I decided a long time ago that I'd brush my teeth every morning. And because of that, I don't spend my day thinking about the question of doing so. He said the same should be true of our spiritual discipline. You know, as you guys live, our Lord would wake up every morning before the sun, sometimes long before, but we know he would spend time in prayer. He was a prayer warrior. And, and we should be too. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but from what I understand, 200 times in the Bible we're commanded to pray. You know, And so it's a matter of obedience. Of course, we know Jesus was an obedient son. Now, some might wonder why did he pray? Because he was God, you know? And I, I think, though, that we have to understand not only was he here in his deity, but he's also here in his humanity, Right? And when he became a man, he emptied himself of his divine privileges. Therefore, he needed to go to the Father in order to access the power that he needed for life and ministry. Some of us here, we are putt-putting around life. We have no power because we're not praying. Simple as that. 
You know, one guy said Jesus knew that he could not live without prayer. And, you know, the same is true for us even more so. None of us can and, and none of us should, really. I mean, think about it. You have access to Almighty God. Not to pray is to be guilty of the incredible foolishness, foolishness of ignoring the possibility of adding God to our resources. You know? I mean, the Lord he prayed, I, I'm, I'm sure, partially for power, that was a huge part of the reason he prayed, but you guys know this, huh? Uh, the main reason. Why, what was the main reason that Jesus prayed? And I think the primary purpose of his prayer life was so that in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, he could fellowship with his Father. Right? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, do you love anybody? Is there anybody that you love in your life so much that you just love being with them? That's how the Lord was in prayer. He just wanted to be with his Father alone. You know, there's something about that that's so powerful, you know? I mean, yes, going and receiving. Yes, being, you know, guided by Almighty God. Yes, being empowered by his Father. But just being with his Father. You know, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about how it is with my, my children you know, my children are at that age now, and that, you know, they've actually been this way for a while, but you can just see it. It's just almost there where they're no longer going to need mom and dad to give them rides. They're coming to that age now where they're driving, they're going to be driving on their own, right? And so some parents, I don't know how you guys, maybe you guys have gone through this. Um, you're like, you know, I can't wait for the day where they just drive alone. You know, I won't have to give them a ride. I won't have to be their taxi, right? Some parents will go through that. But I'll tell you what, man, um, I, I, even though it is inconvenient sometimes, I love giving my kids rides. I do. I'll be honest with you. I, when, I, when I'm giving my son a ride, I call, that, I call that errand time or whatever it might be. My, my daughter, this is Shelly time. This is Ariel time when, you know, wife, daughter. Yeah, Shelly's young enough to be my daughter. I mean, you know how that looks. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, um, but the day's going to come. And when we're there, yeah, I'm doing something for him. Yes, I'm giving him a ride or whatever. But more importantly than that, we're, we're together. And that's kind of how it is with the Lord, you know. We're praying and, and he's blessing and he's going he's gonna to change your life. He's going to change your marriage. He's going to heal people. He's going he's gonna to save people. He's going to do amazing things when you pray. He's going to bless you. He's going to open the windows of heaven and give you gifts and do things that you would never even begin to imagine. But more important than that is just, man, being with him. And that's where the, the Lord was, that communion. You know, when I first became a Christian, I had a friend who used to keep me accountable. And he would always ask me, now, question number one, did you spend time with God today? Did you, did you pray today? And I would say, you know, yes or no. And then if I said yes, then he would ask me this, did you commune with him? You know, because there's a difference, right? To commune with the Lord is much more than just going through the motions or checking that checklist of some type of religious activity. No, communion is heart-to-heart -heart connection with your Creator. It is fellowship with your Father. And when you begin to taste that, and when you begin to experience that, 
you will be so eager to get out of bed and to go and climb the mountain and escape into the wilderness, to send people away, to get away so that you can be with God. That's, that's Jesus. That's where he was. It was his time of communion, right? That was his heart, fellowship. And again, from that fellowship, he was provided power, power that we need, you guys, to defeat demons. The power that we need to be healed of our hurting hearts. You know, that prayer time and fellowship with the Father, Jesus would be given the very words that he was to speak that day and preach to the people. All the divine details, things that you don't even know are on the horizon for you. They're all found there in prayer. And that's where Jesus was. Number one, communion. But then that led to, number two, commission. Look at verse six. It says, and and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. You know, the the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, verse 42, reveals the fact that the people wanted to keep Jesus there. It says, And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. You know, he had woken up and maybe, like I said, he spent the night over Peter's house and so they went to the room where Jesus had fallen asleep the previous night and he wasn't there. And so, you know, they start looking for him, can't find him, and they're searching for him. Why are they searching for him? Because they want their Savior to stay with them. And that's understandable, right? I mean, they're no one like Jesus. I mean, he taught with authority, he healed with authority, cast out all the demons with all God's power. And so they wanted Jesus to stay. But what had happened was the Lord had checked in with his father and he prayed and he obeyed. He received his marching orders from the father and the father said, no, I want you to go out and preach into the next town. I want you to do the circuit teaching throughout all Galilee. And Jesus would be teaching in all the different cities and the synagogues and various settings, right? And so the Lord had different plans. There's a lesson here for us. You know, the pressure from the people was, let's set camp here. It's a nice city, right? I mean, it's here on the coastlands of Galilee. I don't know about you. I like the beach. That would be nice. You know, or maybe maybe a church in Maui. Lord, what do you think, man? And uh, they're just like, hey, let's stay here, right? But Jesus said, no, we have to go into the next town. You know, the interesting thing in the Greek language is that this is the only time this particular Greek word is found in the entire New Testament, the word towns right there. And it refers to an unwalled town. It refers to a city with no protection, virtually no identity. Basically, it was an insignificant city and towns. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, it's nice right here, but I have to go into those highways and byways, those valleys and alleys, those cities where there are people and no one's being sent to them. And it's just a cool, it's a cool thing, you know, to me. I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but, um, and I hope I don't offend any of you here, but sometimes I think a little bit of a, about Almani like that, you know? I mean, I've talked to people, they say that they don't, for whatever reason, they don't stop in Almani. They just kind of keep driving through, you know? And uh, I love this city. 
I love this city. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, I don't know if you've seen the scene in The Lion King, but there's a scene in there where, I don't know if you guys remember, but there's like a little battle going on towards the end. And uh, there's a little... Uh, there's a little bird in that, whatever, that bird, he's inside the cage. And then there's a little, what's it called, a meerkat, that other guy, he's running around. And so anyways, the what happens is one of the guys is in the cage, he's all, let me out, let me out. The other one's all, let me in, let me in, you know, because the lions are chasing him, right? And I, and I feel like that sometimes in El Monte, to be honest with you, I feel like people just want to get out. And yet I want to get in. I feel there's a mission here. We didn't start a church just to start a church. There is a town, and in some eyes it's insignificant, but there are beautiful people here that need Jesus Christ. And that's the heart that God has. That's what we see Jesus here. I want to go to those cities, in, insignificant, unwalled, maybe a little poor, and I want to reach them. You know, in looking at his heart right here, notice a couple of things. Number one, Jesus' primary ministry other than dying for us, was preaching to us. Notice again there in verse 38, he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. You know, Mark mentions that Jesus was casting out demons, but it's almost like a little side note. It's not the most significant thing. Jesus says, no, I want to go and I want to preach. This is my commission you know, and that's what Jesus did. He's, a, he's the preacher. The Greek word, it speaks of a public proclamation. In the context here, it's a public proclamation of God's word. And in the context, it's God's word of salvation. This is how you get to heaven. You know, we did the funeral yesterday for, for little Eric, only eight years old. Monday, I did another funeral for a lady who passed who was only 37 years old. I mean, none of us know when we're going to die. I'm going to be 50 years old this year, and I'm thinking, wow, Lord, I'm living on borrowed time, right? I don't think I'm trying to say others that are older than me are old, but, but you are. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Let's admit it, man. <laughs> no, I mean, come on, seriously, though, we don't know. I mean, you got this... You know, I, it was so sad. I mean, every three minutes, uh, someone is diagnosed with some type of blood cancer. Every eight minutes, someone dies of leukemia or blood cancer. My, you know, those lymphomas, those diseases. I mean, it's just irrespective of age. I mean, we prayed last week for a 19-year-old that passed away in a car accident. I mean, none of us knows. I was talking to a lady yesterday, her husband died just like that of an aneurysm. Am I, am I trying to scare you? Not really. Maybe a little bit. You know, I mean, we got to get ready to die. We got to get ready to stand before God. How are you going to be ready? You've been a good person, but you're not good enough. None of us are. All of us have sinned. You need the blood of Jesus on your life. You need Jesus. You need his forgiveness that he provided when he died on the cross of Calvary. He died for everybody, but not everybody's going to heaven. Only those who want to. Only those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's why Jesus came. He came to preach. That message is so beautiful. I pray you would know that today. If you don't know the Lord or if you don't have 100% assurance of where you will go when you die, 
This is not Russian roulette, my friend. This is God telling you that I, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Not based on your works, but on his work. There on the cross, you've got to give your life to Christ. Not a religion, but a relationship. You have to make a decision. Have you ever really made a decision? To follow Jesus Christ. And when you made that decision, did you really mean it? Or are you just messing around? Yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but then you go and you live your own life. No, you've got to make a decision. You must choose to follow him. See, that's the Lord, and he's preaching. And that was his primary ministry other than dying. You know, to preach, it was the word that carries a certain formality, a gravity, an authority, which must be listened to and obeyed. You know, something interesting about the Lord is that Jesus, uh, did you guys know that his last name is not Christ? You know, some people think that's his first name and his last name. No, Christ. What does that mean, you guys? Anointed one, right? Uh, in the Hebrew, it was Messiah or Mashiach. In the Greek, it's uh, Christos. We have Christ, christened, we get that word, it's anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three offices that were anointed, the king, the priest, and the prophet. Now, the king was the anointed king, and so Jesus is the king, and so we need to recognize him in majesty. Jesus is also the anointed priest, and so we need to acknowledge him as mediator. But then Jesus is also the anointed prophet, and so we must acknowledge him as messenger. And as the messenger, as he gives us the truth that sets us free, then we listen, we learn, and we live. The Bible. He said it, that settles it. He tells me to jump, I ask how high. That's the way we should live our life. He was the prophet. And when you read the New Testament, it's all the words of Jesus and the messengers that he poured into. You see, when you look at the context here, the word, uh, you know, preaching stands out. Another word that stands out right here, notice again there in verse 38, he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. You know, this is why I came. <laughs> You know, we've got to know this about Jesus. He was destined to die, and he was purposed to preach. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to the prophets in times past, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. This Bible that you have, that we study, is the message of Jesus Christ. It's the message of God. That's why I encourage you to, to read it and to heed it. And that's what Jesus did. He gave the word and he preached because that was his purpose. You know, one of the most beautiful prophecies about the Messiah is found in Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says this, and Jesus quoted this in, when he went into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's the anointing. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. Good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. With the good news, he will heal you of your broken heart. 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. When you listen to the message of God's love for you, and when you understand that his love leads to life, and that more abundantly in the power that you can have over the devil and over the world and, and over the flesh, then he sets the prisoner free, the drug addicts free. The one who's struggling with porn or sex, they're free. He sets you free because there is power, not only in the, in, the, in, the, in the truth of the word, but in the word itself. And that's what Jesus, he came. That was his purpose, you know, to set us free. How many of you here, you know, before you were Christians, man, you were all caught up in drugs and you tried the, the rehab. Right? And it was just a cycle. And, you know, we, we see people going to prison. It's like a revolving door. You know, the statistics are high that they're going to go back in unless something really happens to them. And that is in, unless they discover the love of Jesus Christ. You see, and that's what he does when he preaches. That's his purpose. You know, they were astonished at Jesus' teaching and his preaching. Why? Because it was truth from the top. The greatest words ever spoken by the greatest speaker who ever spoke. That's our Bible. That's what we have. That was his calling. That was his commission. So he prayed and obeyed and lived not to be a people pleaser, but to please his Father. You know, because there's the Lord and, you know, he's out there praying and and so they're coming to him and they say, hey, Lord, we're going to do a church right here. Everybody wants you to, you know, kick it here. This is a really good city right here. And the Lord says, no, I got to go. We got to go into the other towns. That's the purpose I came. And, and, you know, there's a lesson there, I think, in that we got to make sure we don't end up, you know, crumbling to peer pressure. You know, you got to please your father. You know, it's important. I wonder if there's anyone here that struggles with pleasing. You like, you like to try to please everybody. You know, don't raise your hand. But I think a lot of people, they struggle with that. You know, oh, I don't want them to think bad about me. Or I don't want them to, you know, and you try to please everybody. And what ends up happening, man? You don't please God. What ends up happening? You try to please everybody. You drive yourself crazy, man. Your cheese will slide right off that cracker. I mean, it just won't be good, man. Right? I mean, it'll be insanity if you try to please everybody, right? The Lord here, even though he loved everybody, he wasn't about to please everybody. There was one. There was one he was passionate about pleasing. And that was his father. Hey, Lord, everybody wants you to stay. No, I got to go. <laughs> I just got my marching orders from my father. You guys got to understand this. Luke 16, 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters and we try so hard to please everyone and then what ends up happening is we end up crazy or maybe crazy busy way too busy i wonder if there's anyone here that's busy you are a busy person right b-u-s-y it's an acronym for being under satan's yoke be careful man and you got the pressures of society you know john corson he said this we feel frazzled because we're always trying to figure out should I do this? Should I go there? We see opportunities open up before us, and we think that because we're busy, we're accomplishing a lot. But so does the chicken running in circles whose head has been cut off. <laughs> I wonder if there's anyone here. Have you guys ever seen it when they cut off a chicken's head? 
Have you guys ever seen that? If not, you should. Maybe look it up on, online or something. It's pretty crazy. They cut off that head and the chicken's running around like crazy, right? And that's kind of what people do, believe it or not. People who don't know any better might look at that person and say, wow, look at all they're doing and they're living and in all reality he's in the process of dying because he's been disconnected from his head who is... Jesus. I tell you what, you will be blessed when you understand his dreams for your life, his destiny, his agenda, his goals. He made you for a purpose. And how sad it would be if you came to the end of your life and you realized that you never found your purpose, that you never lived life on purpose. Because you were so consumed with trying to please everyone else or you were even caught up with trying to please yourself and you were not in the bit least interested in pleasing your father. How do you know what to do every day? Well, you got to check in with him and he will guide your life. You will find out your purpose. You will find out what you've been called and commissioned to do. You know, when I was reading this right here, I couldn't help but think of that passage in Isaiah 50, verse 4. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Isn't that beautiful? Morning by morning, you wake up, you spend time with God, you listen to what the Lord would have to say to you, and He will give you words to speak to the weary people in life. That's beautiful. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here, right? First, the communion, then the commission. And then the compassion. Look at verse 40. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter, so that Jesus would no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places, and they came to him from every direction." You know, right here, Jesus heals a leper. And, uh, you know, a lot of the miracles that he did were signs that you may believe. I mean, to heal a leper. Luke tells us that this guy was filled with leprosy. You know, but here we see Jesus. It says right there in verse 41, when this leper came to him and just knelt before him, um, he was moved, the Bible says, with compassion compassion 
You know, and a lot of the guys in those days, they didn't have compassion for the lepers. You know, the, one of the crazy things that it's so sad is that sometimes you get these people, and this is the way it was back then, they said, oh, you're, you're a leper, or oh, you probably somehow deserve it. You know, the religious leaders of the day, they would not come near a leper. Uh, lepers were not allowed to approach a rabbi. A rabbi couldn't even breathe in the wind that might brush through the life of a leper. A leper was completely banished from society. If anyone touched them, they would be considered unclean, unable to go to church service, so to speak. And they were so afraid to touch a leper because they believed they themselves would then be contaminated with the same disease. I mean, the life of a leper, this was the most hideous disease of the day, was absolute isolation without hope. And so uh, one day the leper comes, and for whatever reason, you know, he just, man, he just knows, and maybe he's heard from a distance, or maybe the report went out. He just knows this, there's something about Jesus that's different from all the other rabbis. He's not a, a random rabbi. He's not a passing prophet. He's not your typical teacher. There's something different about him. Uh, I can approach him. I think he'll be okay with that. Not only is he a loving person, but he's a powerful person. And I know that if I come to him, he won't turn me away. And I know he'll be able to heal me. And that's what this leper did. I just am so grateful that Jesus is the Lord God who has this compassion within him. You know, the compassion, that word, it speaks of uh, not just a feeling, but it's a feeling that moves you to action. And that was the heart of Christ. You know, he... Undoubtedly, in his compassion and his uh, omniscience, man, he knew like the depths of the loneliness that this leper had felt. You know, a lot of times we lack compassion with people because we don't understand what they've been through in life. You know, we can look at the hardened criminal who's maybe, you know, doing time in prison. And yes, don't misunderstand me. I, I know justice needs to be served in a society, but... You know, we can look at that person and we can wonder, well, well, you know, they're all messed up and we don't have a heart for them. But man, do you know what they went through? Do you know that in growing up, they didn't have a dad? Did you know that? Did you know that their mom wasn't there for them? Did you know that they didn't have any love? They didn't have any family? They found their family in their gang members and those friends. That's how they started running around. That was the only mode of love they ever felt. One thing led to another. One day, he thinks he's doing a good thing for somebody that he thinks really cares about him. And the knife is moved the wrong way. He commits murder. He's in prison. What about him? Some people say, let him rot. What about that girl over there? She's mean. She's mean. She's mean. But you don't understand. She's been molested as a little girl over and over and over again. You don't see it. But Jesus sees it. That's why he sees all of us. And he knows everything we've been through. And he has compassion on us. I am so grateful that I have a God 
who is compassionate. He's long-suffering, he's tender, and he's willing to heal us. I don't know, any of you here seen that movie? It's out, I think it's still out there. It's called Risen. Any of you guys see that movie? Okay, so three people are saved. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's an okay movie. It's okay. It's not like, you know, straight out Bible, but it's pretty cool. But I tell you what, if you go see that movie, there is, it's worth it just for one scene. You go see that movie and you look out for one scene. When Jesus heals the leper, it's amazing. You know, I don't cry easy. No, I'm just joking. I do cry easy. <laughs> but man, I was weeping. You know, the interesting thing about it, you look right here, it says in verse 41, Jesus moved with compassion. He stretched out his hands and he touched him. I mean, that would never happen. Never. You got some of these homeless people. No one ever touches them. No one would approach them. They, you know, a certain whatever look or fear or smell. You go touch them. You go give them a big hug. I tell you what, that changes everything. Jesus touched him. When he touched him, he didn't heal him. He didn't heal him physically. But when he touched him, he healed him emotionally. He healed his heart. And then the Bible says he touched him and said to him, I'm willing to be cleansed. And as soon as he spoke, he'd spoken, then the leprosy left him. He said, before I heal you physically, I'm going to heal you on the inside. And that's what Jesus does. I'm here to tell you, you know, not to sound weird or anything, but man, he's so personal and he's, he's able to touch you. He's able to reach you. He knows what you're going through. But this leper right here is a good example for us. He went to Jesus, right? He came to him. And you got to come to him. He's there for you and he's willing to to heal you. He has compassion. We read it over and over again in the Bible. In Matthew, uh, Mark 6.34, it says, Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them. Just like so many of us here. How many of you here, you can say, like me, I never had any guidance. I never had a dad who would teach me about life. Jesus sees people like that as sheep without a shepherd, so he's willing to teach you how to be a husband, how to be a dad, how to be a friend, right? Because he has compassion. In Matthew 9.36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And that passage goes on to say, and so he says, pray, because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, and pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he sees those who, even sometimes in the church, that need to be taught. He sees those out there walking the streets of Garvey, working the streets of Garvey, that need to be saved. But somebody has to reach them. That's the compassion that he has. In Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. 
And the Lord is able to heal us physically. He knows what you're going through in your body and your soul and your spirit. In Matthew 15, 32, when Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry. Isn't that cool? Not, so what does he do? He, he gives them fish tacos right there and then, right? 5,000 men, women and children, man. I mean, just the love and the compassion of your God. Your God. Have you ever, you know, maybe you, you went hungry here and there, but hardly ever, huh? I mean, usually, man, we got enough to muster up a little cheeseburger from Mickey D's or something. That's from the Lord. He feeds you. Luke seven thirteen. when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And that was to the, to the lady whose little boy had died. You know, and you're here and you're like, but I, my, my loved one has died. I want you to know this, that Jesus is a compassionate creator and he sees your tears. And uh, I was thinking about this, you know, um, and then just as a quick side note, just in case you lost a loved one and they're in heaven now and, you know, you're having a hard time with that. When, when, when Jacob's son Joseph was sold into slavery and he was gone for 13 years and Jacob's, uh, Jacob mourned the whole time. For 13 years, he just mourned. He didn't live his life. Because he thought his son was dead. And then the day came when he found out in all reality his son was alive. If you have a loved one that is in heaven, you got to know they're not dead. They're alive. They're alive and well. One day you'll see them again. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, the Lord is compassionate with us in whatever the situation is that we find ourselves. The communion, the commission, the compassion. You know, something that's interesting here is that the Lord says, don't tell anybody. He tells the leper, don't tell anybody. Go to the priest. He fulfilled the law. He didn't want the priest to hear it through the grace vine. No, you got to go. You got to offer your sacrifices according to Leviticus chapter 14. And so... He tells them to do that. But what do the lepers do? They just go and they tell everybody. And it's just sad. It's so crazy how we don't obey the Lord who healed us. And how a lot of times we get things backwards. Here they were. Jesus said, don't say anything. And they spread the word to everybody. And then when Jesus died and ascended into heaven, he said, okay, now I want you to go tell everybody. And we don't tell anybody, man. It's like now it's backwards, you know. Um, we got this jet team going out on Saturday mornings, man. I, my prayer is that a lot of you would come out and join them. You know, I know it's a little hard, but man, you'll be blessed. In the end, what do we find? It says in verse 45, he went out and, and this guy, the upper, began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And you would think, well, maybe ministry's over for the Lord, right? Because now he's in a hard place. But it's so cool to read what it, the Bible says, and, and they came to him from every direction. I mean, that's so cool. And to me, I think that's probably a good way to end. 
because I hear your stomachs grumbling for the menudo, right? I mean, maybe you're here and you need to come to him. And we come to him from every direction. I mean, we look around this room and there's a lot of different people. We got people that are clean cut, some that are tatted down, some that are young, some that are old like me or in between, right? We got the rich, we got the poor, we got the different colors. I love the diversity of our Lord. We come from every direction. Some are religious. Maybe you've gone to church all your life, but you don't really know the Lord. Some are not religious, and they still can't even believe that they're here today, you know? It's your first time, and you're like, man, they, they tricked me. They told me, let's go have someone new, though I ended up in this church right here, right? <laughs> you know, we come from different directions, man. But, you know, um, all I can say is this, that Jesus loves you, that he's calling you to come to him. And so before you leave this place right here, I want to encourage you to, to know that he died for you on this cross. And what does the Bible say? It says, repent. You just got to make a U-turn. This is the road you've been going on all your life. It doesn't lead to heaven. Just make a U-turn, repent, and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Make a decision today before you leave because you don't know if you'll have tomorrow make a decision today to follow jesus christ and in doing so you will experience life and that more abundantly what would happen if you would make that decision today is a miracle will take place i'll never forget the day that i received christ i went in someone invited me to church I didn't know why they were singing. I didn't know why they were lifting their hands. I kind of didn't even know what the guy up front was saying. But I did know this, that I needed Jesus. And on that day, I gave my life to Christ. And he breathed on me. And he gave me his life. That's what you need today. If you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling you, God is knocking at your door. And he's just asking, will you open your door and let me in to your heart? But you got to choose. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for loving us, Lord, the way that you do. And Lord, uh, I know you're a perfect gentleman and you won't force yourself on anyone. And yet I also know you are desperate and that you love us. And so, Lord, I pray if there is anyone here, and even if it's, it's just one person, Lord, it's worth it. If there is anyone here, Lord, who today is the day of salvation, then you would move in their heart so that they would make that decision to follow you. Please, Lord, we thank you for who you are. You are Jesus, our Savior. And I just thank you for these beautiful people and the work you're doing in them. Help them to know that as blood-bought believers, that they are washed in grace. And they are white as snow. They are free. They are forgiven. And not allow the enemy in any way to beat them up or condemn them, Lord. I just thank you so much for being such an awesome God. We do love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.